Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors, as this show would not be possible if it wasn't for them. Millie and Ma, the stylish and unique all-Australian gift boxes. Their ranges include corporates, him and her, babies, or you can design your own. Catch them today at www.millieandma.com.au. That's www.millieandma.com.au. And last but not least, RetroJet Prints. At RetroJet, they create unique, high-quality, retro-inspired artwork that's affordable. Designed by them for you to suit any setting. Find them today at RetroJet Prints on Instagram or Facebook. And now, let's start the episode. He got a bit carried away, Brendan. That's not like Brendan to get carried away, is it? No, not at all. What a time to be alive. Save us a go. Disposal efficiency. All right, Pressure Point fans, we have an absolute treat for you guys today. Um, one of our favourite episodes and favourite guests so far, that's for sure. We've got 250-game player with the West Coast Eagles, premiership player and Norm Smith medalist in the same season. An all-time great of the club, now part of the Triple M Perth team, calling the great game. His name is Andrew Embley. Embers, welcome. Yeah, g'day, lads. Uh, thanks for having me. Anytime, mate. Absolute pleasure to have you on. We're talking about it a little bit off air, but how's life been for you during the pandemic? Obviously, you're in WA, a bit of a different situation to us in Melbourne. How's life treating you over there? Yeah, we're, to be honest with you, really lucky over here in WA. We haven't lived through a pandemic whatsoever. It's a, it's a big bubble that we live in, and we've been able to, to get back to reality really, really quickly. So we certainly understand how difficult and challenging it's been for, for you guys and you know, all your family and friends and fellow Victorians and, and uh, as well as uh, people living over in New South Wales at the moment. So our thoughts are certainly with you guys, and we're hoping that you're uh, doing as well as you can. But, yeah, life's pretty normal back here in WA, and we've got, obviously, a grand final coming up, which you know, everyone is just so excited for, and we just can't wait for it. We've got, a, as you know, an incredible stadium over here. We, we had the Dreamtime game early in the season, and you saw, you know, how well that lit up in lights and, and what a wonderful spectacle that was. So we're really confident we can put on a, a great grand final next week and hopefully do the rest of the country really proud as well. Yeah, for sure. It, it, I mean, as you said, we, we had a good taste of it this season from off the stadium with the, the things that they put on with the Dreamtime game. So expecting nothing nothing different this week, which is going to be great. I think that's the silver lining to, to Melbourne not having the granny. I think Optus Stadium will do a great job over there. So looking forward to that one and, and grand final week coming up as well, which is going to be good fun. But, mate, let's talk about you. Let's, uh, let's, let's go back right to the start, to your early junior days. You were um, picked up a pick 57 in the 98 draft. And um, I guess let, let, how did it all start for you from between your, your junior career and then getting drafted in 98? Yeah, so I grew up here in WA and played a variety of sports, but footy was the game that I just enjoyed the most and was really passionate about and probably wasn't always the best player in my side, but when I speak to a few of my coaches, they did say that I was really committed at a younger age and um, and worked you know, really hard on, on my craft, just trying to improve and get better and Played uh, state schoolboys over here at, um, I think I was under 15s and had a reasonable carnival and we ended up winning that carnival WA and that was probably the first time where I realised that, you know, this, this dream of potentially playing AFL football could become a reality. I was, 
you know, I always knew that I was sort of, you know, like one of the better players, not the best player, but one of the better players in my side. But when you get to go and compete against some of the best 15 year olds around the country and be able to sort of walk away from that carnival thinking, you know what, I can match it with them, then sort of gives you a bit of confidence. And I, um, from that, I made the AIS squad and we went to Ireland and there was guys, um, like Mark McVeigh, he came to Ireland. Uh, Des Headland, who ended up going number one draft pick in uh, in the 99, 98 draft that I went to. Um, Cameron Ling was on that trip, and um, and others as well. And so that sort of got me a gave me a taste of you know what it would be like to potentially be in a in a really good environment. Um, and yeah, after that, uh, yeah, put myself into a draft played some teal cup football and but didn't really like didn't have a super year heading into my draft year and I um was sort of hopeful to get drafted but uh certainly wasn't a guarantee or anything like that so it um did come really quickly for me and when I found out that I was um drafted I mean yeah as you know when you put yourself into the draft yeah you came to play Anywhere, it doesn't really matter where I go. Been a WA boy, I'm happy to hop on a plane and go to Victoria and, and play for a Victorian club because I just wanted to play AFL footy. So when I found out that West Coast were uh, were going to pick me up and I was going to stay in WA, I was just over the moon. Yeah, that sounds like an absolute dream. I know um, a lot of WA boys that, that get drafted away from WA always had that go-home factor. So for you to, to stay there and, and be able to, to live in WA and play at your career, that would have been great. And um, I guess, did you have any other interest from from clubs at that time? Or was it, I mean, we sort of expected to maybe stay in WA or did you have any other big Victorian clubs come after you as well or have some conversations around draft time? Yeah, a little bit of interest from other clubs. So in my 98 year, so there was a rule where clubs could only take one 17-year-old and I was a 17-year-old. So I knew that I was... If I was to be drafted in that year, I was only going to be one. Um, I mean, I, I, as a 17-year-old, there was only going to be 16 clubs potentially um, that were going to take, you know, a 17-year-old. And clubs didn't have to take a 17-year-old. So I was a really one in 16 chance. Now, we knew that Des Headland was more than likely going to go number one to Brisbane. Um, and Justin Longmuir, there was lots of talk that he'd go number two to Fremantle. So... I, uh, I knew that if I was going to be picked up, it would be later on. But because Fremantle had taken their um, their pick at number two and it was going to be just along me, it certainly wasn't going to be myself, then the chances of staying in Perth were really, really slim. So West Coast ended up taking me, I think, what would you say, 56 or 57, I think? 57. Uh, yeah, 57. And they took about three or four guys, I think, before me in that draft, but they took me as their 17-year-old pick. So... I think uh, most clubs had probably used up their 17-year-old pick before that. So I was just, yeah, I was just stoked to get drafted and, and obviously to a to a club here in WA. And you know, I grew up barricading for the West Coast Eagles as well. So it was just a dream to come true. Yeah, well, you, you obviously made a pretty good impression in, the, in your first preseason as well. You, you managed to, to debut in round one of, of 1999, at, still at 17 years of age. So how was that experience? You know, everyone remembers their debut. So... Talk us through through that game in, in round one of ninety nine. Yeah, really excited. Had a had a great preseason, and it was Mick Boldhouse's 
last year at, at West Coast before he went to Collingwood and, and got on with him really well. And, and Mick, um, Mick's a great coach, especially with young developing kids and, and really gives you an opportunity. And if you put in the work and, and put in the time, then, you know, he rewards you. And yeah, had a really good summer and trained really hard and, and then got the opportunity to play a couple of scratch matches before the start of the season and didn't you know, set the world on fire or anything, but was able to at least have an impact. And, and then obviously, yeah, on the eve of round one, I remember, I think it would have been a few days before the, the first game of the season, we're playing Fremantle and he came up to me and asked me if I was ready to play AFL footy. So I said, yeah, I definitely am. So he goes, yeah, we're going to, we're going to pick you this week and just, um, yeah, good luck with it. So it was, uh, now it was a dream come true and yeah, to be able to, to run out and, and make your debut in a derby was, uh, was something really special for my, not just myself, but for the family as well. Yeah, I can imagine it wouldn't be yeah, a derby um, to debut in would have been an experience like no other. How was that that first first year as well in 99? Um, I mean, adjusting to the AFL system can be tough for a lot of players in their first year. How did you cope with your, your first year um, in the system? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I I think you, you get a, a sort of free year in, in football and normally it's your, your first year or your second year. And so there's no real pressure on you or anything like that. You're just living the dream. You're out there, you're, you're playing football and you're, um, you're doing your absolute best to play as many games as you can. So I had a, I had a really fun first year. Um, I think I, I played nine games in my first year. And the rest were playing for Claremont in the Waffle, which was West Coast affiliated side that um, that we had in that first year. So it was uh, it was great. I hadn't played much league football as well before before getting drafted. So even when I got dropped and was playing the waffle, you know, as a kid, all I want to do was play, you know, the Swan Districts, which was my waffle club um, growing up in Bassendine. So I. Uh, I was playing waffle footy for Claremont and when I was good enough, I was playing for the West Coast Eagles. So it was a, a great first 12 months. Yeah, I can imagine. And we touch on, you know, the, f- the first 12 months, obviously fantastic, but a few years later in your career, um, you know, a couple of grand finals came your way, which is obviously everybody's dream to get there, but we'll start with the 2005 grand final. We'll start in that one first. What that was the first grand final you played. What was that experience like in the build up? And um, obviously, you know, the match itself didn't get the result the way, the one you, the way you would have wanted. But um, what was the build up like to that grand final? Yeah, it happened really quickly for us because we, as a group, when I started, we had the, you know we get the tail end of all you know the '92 and '94 premiership heroes of Jackie Ridge and Matera and Kemp and and all those players, and then suddenly they were retiring. This new group was coming through, and we uh, we made the finals in 2002 I think from memory uh, I think Wush's first year we made the finals 2002 got beaten in elimination final um, played finals 2003 got beaten in elimination 2004 beaten in elimination so before you know it 2005 like we hadn't even won a final and I think we were on top of the ladder um, or at least in the, in the top two and we win our first final we're into a prelim and then suddenly we win a prelim and you know we're, we're into a grand final so it um, it wasn't like we were sort of knocking on the door before 2000 
and five. So it did really happen really fast. But the one thing about grand finals is, you know, I'm not a, I don't believe that, you know, you need to be one to win one. Like, yeah, you make a grand final, you never know if you're ever going to get back there. So we obviously had a, a really good year in 05 and, and suddenly, you know, we're into a grand final. We're a young side and we come up against a Swans team who were, um, you know, quite young as well. They might have had a little bit more experience than us, but they were very young and, and certainly hadn't uh, been in that position as well. So it was a, yeah, I mean, I haven't really sort of thought too much about it, um, the game. Um, but, you know, I know it was hard, it was tough, and and the game could have gone either way. In fact, from memory, we were coming really hard late, and I used to always say that you know, another three or four minutes, I reckon we would have won it. But another three or four minutes, no six, before we would have lost it. So, um, yeah, it was really disappointing to, to lose that grand final. But what it did do, it made us realise that we weren't good enough and we had to improve and we had to get better. And as a group, we had to become tighter and, and train really hard because, um, you know, just because you make a grand final one year ain't going to give you any right to be back there the following year. Well, that's it. But I mean, you guys obviously did do that and improve the next year because both Sydney and West Coast ended up in the next same grand final almost the next year, but you guys got the win this time around. Obviously, being in a grand final the year before, you were pretty familiar with the build-up and things you needed to do to prepare yourself. Was there much difference between the 20, 2005 and 2006 grand finals in terms of preparation? Uh, from memory, I think – I don't think so. Like, you obviously, you, you, in 2006, you know, we – done it the year before so you may be a little bit more prepared for it but we're coming up against a side who are just as prepared because obviously they went through the same experience the following year so I just felt our timing was right in 06 we um we were just we just felt really confident without being arrogant or anything like that and um you know remember the the qualifying final when we played against the Swans and they knocked us off and um in that particular game I didn't play Curry didn't play, Ash Hansen didn't play. I just felt that the three of us could actually turn around a, a one-point deficit. So I felt really confident heading into that game that, yeah, they knocked us off earlier, but um, we come off a really good win against Adelaide in the prelim and, and we just felt really good with the way that we were playing our football and the way that you know, everyone's feeling you know, really good, like 100% sort of stuff, didn't have any injury really concerns or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it was just, we, just felt, we just felt right. our time was right. Yeah, and obviously, like you said, it, it was right because you guys ended up getting the win. And I think a big moment in the game for me that I thought, and I think um, I've heard you say it before as well yourself, that Rowan Jones' contest with Leo Barry in the middle of the ground, Daniel Kerr kicks it inboard, and he just he may hit that contest and won the one-on-one, and it just really set the tone to finish the game. And I mean, obviously it's pretty well known that you took a pretty big mark in the back line as well late in that game. But um, in the last few minutes, what's the feeling like? It was a one point win. It was obviously one of the closest grand finals we've had in a very long time. What was the feeling like with about five minutes to go? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's hard to sort of explain it, but when games are so tight like that, the thought of, of winning and losing, like you just, you can't, it just doesn't come into the equation because like you're just so focused on the contest and, and the contest after that, you just can't afford to just switch off for a second because, you know, that's the difference between winning the grand final and losing the grand final. And, and there's so many big moments that happen and you just got to make sure that when it's your turn to go, that you just, you know, you go and you, you impact and you have a crack because that moment you're never going to get back again. So, 
you know, he spoke about Rowan Jones's contest in the middle of the ground, just small moments like that where he just had to go, he just had to make a contest because, you know, if we lose that ball in the middle of the ground, um, we're, we're in all sorts. I mean, they're coming down and they're, they're kicking the goal and suddenly it's a, a totally different story that we're talking about. So we had, um, you know, players like Jonesy that just played their role throughout the day. I always talk about Darren Glass and the impact that he had. He plays on Barry Hall in that grand final. I think Barry Hall, from memory, won the Coleman in 2006 and kicked five goals in a prelim, Barry. And, you know, we know that we have to stop Barry Hall and, and Glass, he goes to win keeps Barry goalless and we win by one point. So there's just so many different stories like that where guys just had to play their part, had to have your big moment and make sure that, you know, you impacted that moment. And and that's the difference probably between 05 and 06 where we just had 22 contributors in 06 and, and when it was their turn or our turn to stand up, you know, we all had our moments and, and they were really big ones too. Yeah, those two grand finals, 05 and 06, I think, for me personally, one of my favourite grand finals to watch and the rivalry between the Swans and Eagles during that period is is almost unrivaled in the, in the modern era. It was um, great to watch. But something that fascinates me fascinates me with grand final days is, is obviously the 100,000 crowd and the atmosphere and everything like that. As someone that's never experienced it or will never experience playing in front of 100,000 people, what is that like, like the, the noise and, and everything that goes with it? Yeah, it's quite um, it's quite deafening. I um I do remember um you know walking up the race and and then you know coming out into the ground and it is one of the loudest roars that you know you'll ever hear and you've probably got to maybe a, you know a few moments to just be able to sort of soak it up and and have a little bit of a look around and um and yeah in a way it's a, it's a great you know, appreciation of the work that you and the team have done over a long period of time and, and not just you know, during your football career but as a kid because you know you're in the backyard you're, you're kicking the footy you're having fun but the reality is, you know, not many people get the opportunity to, to, to do that. So it's, um, it is really rewarding for that split moment. But then you run through the banner and you quickly realise that you got a job to do, and uh, and and that is to to play your part, play your role, and and help your team win a grand final. So um, yeah, it's a it's a great experience. I I love being at grand finals, and I think because I've obviously been on both ends at the end of the siren win and loss, I, I do get a, a full appreciation of you know what the both clubs are going through. But yeah, it, it's it's a roar and it's a, a noise that you just only really have experience on on grand final day, and, and obviously I got to experience it a couple of times as a player as well, which was just incredible. It was incredible. And I mean, I'll, that was actually the first grand final I'd ever went to was a 2006 one. So it was, it was yeah. so special for me. I'd never seen the crowd roar out there. I'm a Richmond supporter myself. So yeah. it was mutual game for me. I was loving it. And I, yeah, I couldn't believe the crowd. And you mentioned earlier that you had 22 contributors on the day and, you know, and it wasn't exactly one player, but in saying that your team was filled with absolute stars. You know, you got yourself, Chris Judd, Ben Cousins, uh, Dean Cox, Daniel Kerr, et cetera. What was it like playing with some of these champions of the games? Like some of these guys and names that, you know, are household names that we still talk about today. Yeah, we had an incredible midfield group in particular. And when um, when you've got just so so many dominant players that just they just win their position, it, it's really, it's great to be a part of because the easiest footy over play was when we're in the best side because you've got players that win the footy and you've got players that share the footy around and you can just sort of, you know, take the game on and you can be really proactive around the stoppages as well because you've got the most dominant ruckman in the competition and the best midfield group. So more than likely, you feel like, 
you know, you can actually dictate and, and be on the move. And, and then on the flip side of that, you've got the opposition that are, are really reactive to what you're doing, which makes it, you know, quite um, difficult and challenging for them. So, it, um, yeah, as much as these guys were genuine superstars off the game, for us, you know, they were, they were guys that really prepared and, and set themselves up in pre-season and, and in training and the way that they um, – the way that they got the best out of themselves. So for us, it was no surprise that guys like Jared Kerr and Cousins, you know, went out there and dominated the way they did on the weekends because you only had to sort of see them, you know, train in the preseason and, and see some of the stuff that they did. So we batted so deep through our midfield group. You know, you can throw in Braun and, um, and Fletcher and Tyson Stingline playing a negating role for us through there. So it was a, um, yeah, it was a privilege to be a part of uh, such an incredible midfield group for that era. Oh, 100%. I can only imagine what it would be like having that talent around you. It must just build so much confidence within the group as well. And I mean, here on the podcast, we love feel-good footy stories. And I guess one that's been pretty prominent this week is that uh, Ben Cousins was asked to return to the, or invited to the Brownlow again that night. Um, as a former teammate of his, it must be pretty exciting to see him sort of, you know, putting his life back on the right track and, you know, heading in the right direction again. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Cousins is a good mate of mine. And we, um, you know, we, we constantly uh, stay, in, stay in touch and, I um you know I think this is probably the the best stint that he's had for a long period of time. So we um yeah we just uh, love getting around him and he's got a great story to tell. So if he can uh, if he can just stay on the right track and and get himself right and get himself in a really good mental space, then he's just got a wonderful story to tell. And um you know did a function with him a couple of weeks ago and people just love him over in wa as you can imagine he's almost like the prodigal son and he uh he came back and he spoke really really well and we just uh yeah at the end of it you know people just go you know we've, we've missed you so um yeah he's uh as i said just got a great story to tell just got to um stay on the right track and if he does then yeah the world's his oyster really well, we're all hoping the best for him. I mean, we know the nickname, the Prince of Perth, gets flung around a bit. So it's no surprise to hear that he's uh, very popular in WA. But um, obviously tonight, like I said, he got invited to the Brownlow. But speaking of important medals, I want to ask you, what was it like in the experience of winning the Norm Smith medal in 2006? It's obviously one of the most coveted awards in the game. Um, you know, you performed on the biggest stage of them all and were dubbed best on ground that day. What, what was that like? And at the end of the game, were you expecting that you might have been a sneaky chance at winning it or were you pretty confident? Yeah, I was. A, I mean, it was a great day because you know, obviously, you've you've won a grand final on the back of the disappointment that you had the year before. And I, I, I started a bit slow, but I certainly warmed into the game. And then, you know, at the end of the game, you you know, you've you played a you, you know when you play well, you know when you play bad, you know when you've been okay. So I knew that I had a, a good game, but you're just so overwhelmed with the emotions of winning the grand final that the, the thought of you know winning Norm Smith or even that they're going to present the Norm Smith medal is sort of not really sort of um, you don't really sort of comprehend it at the, at the time. And so it's uh, it happens really, really quickly before, you know, it's um, suddenly, uh, you know, you, you're called up on stage and you're sort of walking up there and, you know, it's, uh, it's quite, uh, it's quite overwhelming. So it doesn't really sort of sink in until, you know, days or weeks later when you, you have a bit of space and a bit of time by yourself and to reflect and, and then, to be honest with you, you know, once a year, especially around grand final time, you know, having a chat with you guys and, and doing a function about grand finals, you, you do um, get to revisit and reflect on not just, you know, your own performance, but 
obviously the performance of the team and, and what we achieved. And with the Norm Smith as well, and um, and even more special this year, you get to present the Norm Smith to to this year's winner. So how how's that? Um, I mean, the privilege of being able to do that as well. And, and I mean, it happens every year where previous Norm Smith medalists get to hand out the award, but to do it this year and in Perth as well, how, how special is that for you? Yeah, it's an absolute honour. Um, to to have a grand final here in Perth, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's never going to happen again. So to to be a part of it in a really small way and to present this year's Norm Smith medal is something that I'm extremely proud to do. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just going to be a, a wonderful wonderful week and a wonderful game it's the the grand final sold out in about nine minutes it was just uh you know we could have sold it over three times over wa absolutely love their footy over here and and yes there's a west coast and there's a Fremantle element to it but regardless of that they just love it and we saw a prelim a couple of weeks ago where it was sold out really really quickly to two big victorian clubs and it's uh it's going to be great we um we can't wait for it and we can't wait to to be there and yeah I'm you know obviously very honoured and uh, and really looking forward to the opportunity to, to present a Norm Smith medal and, and welcome someone to the Norm Smith club yeah can imagine yeah be be a great day great great honour doing that and um, yeah really looking forward to seeing the grand final this week as well especially in Perth and and having good weather there which we definitely uh, <laughs> can't do every year down here yeah. so it, it is gonna it's gonna be a great spectacle so looking yeah. forward to that um, all right mate let's let's move on to your, your current current days and um you're big into your cooking and your restaurants as well How, how's that all going for you and um yeah give us an update on, on your i guess your last few years out of the uh, afl system yeah so i um when i was playing which was always bigger than the guys doing things outside of footy so i love my cooking and i sort of did an apprenticeship when i was uh when i was playing and worked in restaurants and i um then I, Dean Cox and I, we had a restaurant for about four or five years. So we've been in the hospitality game. We're no longer, we're no longer in it. Dean's over in Sydney at the moment, assistant coach of the Swans. And so I um, also went down a, a different path. But I'm in the seafood game over here in Perth and work for Catalano Seafood. So big seafood family. And I also work for Triple M over here as well. So I do rush hour WA with Lockie Reed. And, and employed by Triple M to, to call the footy as well. So we uh, we call all the West Coast Frio games here in Perth. And, and we're calling the grand final this year as well. This is going to be really exciting. Uh, we've got Dennis Committee calling it for us. And, uh, I think it's going to be Dennis's last ever game to call to. So it's a great privilege. I've been working with Den for the last three or four years um, for Triple M over here. So it's been... Uh, it been great to, to be able to work with arguably one of the greatest callers of all time. So uh, three young kids and never a dull moment. So yeah, it's uh, it's been great. And and whilst you know the first sort of couple of years out of the system is a is a really you know can be a daunting transition and then can be quite uh, challenging and and certainly it uh, it was. It's um, you know life's really great now and I love my uh, love my job and I love my life and uh, yeah I love my footy too still. So. Uh, it's great to hear. Great to hear. Um, just going back to to the Triple M team, how how is that experience? I know you've mentioned you're working with Dennis Committee and and people like that, but did you did you find it easy to transition into to the media and calling the game as well? Like I know a lot of players go down that path, but how was it for you transitioning into there and um, and calling the game? 
Yeah, it's um, it, it took me probably a little bit just to sort of get a hang of it. A hang of it. Obviously, you, you you know the footy, you know the game really well, but as you know, with special comments or talking, you know, you just got to be really sharp with what you have to say and then get in and get out sort of stuff. So it's just that timing bits of it. And but um, yeah, I felt like I um, I picked it up, picked it up well. I've been doing it for a while now, so I enjoy doing it. I enjoy um, talking football. I um, I love the game still. I love. I love watching it and everything about it. So, in fact, I probably watch more football now than what I did when I played. So, I um, yeah, love working with the guys at Triple M. And, yeah, we're really excited about calling the grand final in a week's time as well. It's be a, a great experience for all of us. We're really looking forward to it as well. I can't wait for next week. It can't come soon enough. But, um, touch, go back a little bit. I know in the uh, 90s, it was pretty well known that over in the States, there was a bit of a, a beef between the East and West Coast um, in terms of hip hop and stuff like that. But I think the most important West Coast rap that people forget about is the uh, the rap you did for the 10 year anniversary celebrations with Triple M. <laughs> we, uh, Marcus and I were digging into that the other day and having a bit of a watch of that. What was he, was that, um, was that a stitch up or did you, was that your idea? What, what was the thought, what went behind that? Cause that was, uh, we thought that was quite good. <laughs> yeah, I um I had a bit of fun with that. That was just uh, that was just a bit of a piss take. But uh, I it started off one day. I was having a couple of coldies and uh, just started you know mucking around with you know with a few lyrics and stuff like that and writing a couple of things down. And then before I knew it, it, sort of grew and grew. And then I just go, you know what? Why don't I just put something together? And I think the the ten year reunion was coming up, and so <laughs> yeah, I um, I had a bit of fun with it and, and just tried to. I think I tried. I think I mentioned every single person's name, and somehow it was it was a mumble and it was jumble. It was all over the place, but we somehow got it together. And um, and then yeah, on our ten year reunion, I uh, I got um, some guys to, to yeah put the music together for us and, and put some um, vision together for us. And then I presented it to um, to all the lads, and we had a good laugh about it, and it was a bit of fun. So um, yeah, listen. <laughs> something that uh, was a bit silly, but, you know, I think it's come across all right and it's out there now. And, and every time the kids get on YouTube, they, uh, they, they get it and they play it and they sing it. And it's, um, it's actually driving us all mad at the moment. So it's probably not the smartest thing that I've ever done. <laughs> well, before we started recording, we're actually, um, I was having a look through the comment section. I did see your daughter comment on it and she said, uh, this is great, Dad. a little bit embarrassing, but great. But we, were actually quite we were quite impressed with uh, how you did work every player's name into it. And I never thought you could rap about a grand final and actually make it rhyme. So credit where credit's due there. You did a great job with all that. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> all right. So what we do with all our guests, we uh, we run a little segment called the pressure cooker just before we wrap up. So yep. um, we'll, we'll ask a few quick fire questions. Quinn will run the sting and we'll get into it. Before we get back to our regular scheduled programming, I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Capital Edge. Capital Edge is a boutique company set up to help you build a property portfolio quickly and effectively whilst minimizing any direct out-of-pocket costs. They implement strategies to help reduce your payable tax and avoid the common pitfalls of property investment. The simple difference with Capital Edge is that with any investment you make, it's all about you. Capital Edge, educating clients to make informed property choices using research-based processes. And last but not least, Gavos Freight Solutions, GFS. We recommend GFS due to their expert advice in all facets of international air and sea freight forwarding, including consolidation logistics, personal effects, as well as in-house customs clearance brokerage. Better than the rest, the team at GFS has a combined experience of over 40 years in the industry and is led by Peter Gavos, an accredited customs and quarantine broker. 
So if you're in the need for professional importing or exporting, be sure to get in contact with Peter and the team at www.gfs.net.au. That's www.gfs.net.au. Alrighty, who is your tip for the flag? Melbourne. All right, and then who's your tip for tonight's Brownlow medal? I'm leaning towards Ollie Wines. I just reckon there's not enough guys in that Port Adelaide team to pinch votes off into the midfield. Yep, yep. That's that's my pick as well. That's exactly why I'm, I'm going for him. Um, who's your favourite current day player? Well, probably, uh, I'd say Dusty or Nick Nat. Yeah, love that one. Love that one a lot. <laughs> and then the last one, short and sharp. Who do you think will be uh, you'll be presenting the Norm Smith Medal to on on next Saturday? Yeah, really tough question that one. But if I uh, if I say Melbourne, then I reckon I might be doing it to Christian Petrarca. Yeah, I think yeah. we're both on the same page with that. He's just he's a ball in the midfield. And he can kick goals, which sort of all plays hand yeah. in hand. So yeah, yeah I agree with that he's one. an absolute star. He's a gun, but I reckon I reckon he can even go to another level. And I reckon it could be next Saturday as well, and just uh, show that the country, you know, how good he is. And um, you know, Dusty's been able to do incredible things over the last three or four years. No one's ever going to get to that. But I reckon if there's any player in the comp, you know, it's probably a Bonson Pally or or a Christian Petrarca that that can almost get to that level and you know, I'd love to see uh, to see you know one of those big stars elevate themselves on grand final day. Yeah, absolutely. I think Petrarca's set up for this. You can just see it. Um, yeah, yeah he's, he's made finals and big games like this. So I think he'll be my tip as well. But um, that's pretty much all we've got for this episode, Embers. It's, uh, it's been great and um, yeah, it's been great having you on and we really appreciate your time. So Thanks again and um, all the best this week with the grand final build-up and, and, and the big day as well next week. Yeah, good on you, boys, and uh, all the best uh, over there in Victoria too. Hopefully things settle down for you really soon. So, no, thanks very much for having us and look forward to getting back to the MCG next year in front of 100,000 for the grand final. Absolutely. That's fingers crossed. Fingers yeah, crossed. fingers crossed. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again, Embers. Cheers, Embers. Good on you, boys. Take Please. care. All the best. Bye-bye. See you, mate. Cheers.